Lord, thank you that you are a God who saves. That you stepped into our brokenness, our sin. You didn't look at it from afar. In fact, you were willing to take on sin yourself. Pay a penalty that we did not have the resources to pay so that we might know you. And so Lord, as we hear your voice through your word this morning, Lord, we pray. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen us, Lord, we pray. For your sake, for your glory. Amen. Take a seat. Um, God saves sinners. All right, two people, right? Okay, let's do it again. God saves sinners. All right. If you, if you know that because you've experienced that, all right, let the people say amen. Amen. All right. But how does he save sinners? How does he save sinners? Now, that is a theological argument that has simmered under the surface for probably 500 years or more. Not only has it simmered under the surface, sometimes it has violently erupted. Um, Christian conversation, mostly between scholars, academics, book writers, in more recent times, those who are the keyboard warriors and smash out the blogs. This is a real topic of um, tension. And maybe, as if you've been reading along the book, um, maybe as you're reading, maybe even this morning, you might sort of be listening to what we're talking about. You might sort of peel back the layers a little bit and you might notice that there are some bubbling waters of conflict not far below the surface of this subject matter. And the basis of this tension rests, I would say, in a difference of conviction around how much responsibility a person takes for their own salvation and how much God acts in a person's situation for their salvation. And there's a conflict that exists there I actually don't particularly really want to wade into that stream this morning. I, I don't know if it's actually going to be of much benefit to us to um, sit and try and have that debate. However, I'm, I'm quite happy to chat with you about it. So if it's in something that you've been sort of thinking about or something that you've been reading or you hear this morning and you say, man, I'd really like to sort of explore that or talk to you about that in person at some stage, please come and have a chat with me. Send me an email or see me on Sunday and say, Chris, can we talk about that a little bit? I've got some questions about it. Um, And I'm really happy to do that with you. But here's what I do want to focus in on this morning. Um, If we were to ask that question, how does God save? I think it's a great question to ask. And we're going to turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 33, to get just the beginning of that question in some way. All right? 
Romans chapter 9, verse 33. I'd really love for you to turn to it in your own Bibles. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. Uh, it's a little bit of a different translation to what you're reading. That's following the best that you can. Romans chapter 9. And there's a key verse. Um, it picks up the concept of behold, although the Christian Standard Bible doesn't use that word. Romans 9, verse 33. It says, as it is written, look, and that word there is where some translations would use the word behold, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. All right, that's the verse we're going to sort of start out on this morning. But here's my very first point. Um, how does God save well, we know this about God. God saves from a heart of mercy. All right? that's, that's the first thing that we want to try and hold in our attention this morning. When we think about God and salvation, it's important for us to realize that God saves out of his heart, which beats with mercy for sinners. That's important for us to grasp this morning. So Romans 9.33 again, as it is written, Paul says to the church in Rome. So he's quoting something, he's quoting from somewhere. And then he quotes it, look, behold, stand in amazement. I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. So it's important for us to go, well, what was Paul quoting here? What was he drawing the, the Roman Christians' attention to? What was he trying to get them to remember? And so let's have a look at that. It's found in Isaiah 28. So keep your ribbon or your pencil or your marker of some sort back in Romans because we're going we're to go back there. But turn to find... <coughs> the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 28. I'll read just a, a little bit of a long, slightly longer, just a couple of verses. And we'll see where this original passage that Paul was sort of asking the Roman church to, hey, remember what Isaiah said. Remember what Isaiah said about God. And, and we're going to see a little bit more about God's heart here. Isaiah 28, verse 15. For you said, we have made a covenant with death and we have an agreement with Sheol. Or That's a, a, an ancient word, a Hebrew word, similar concept to, to what we would say when we say hell. We've made a covenant with death. We've made an agreement with Sheol. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us. Because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden behind treachery. Verse 16, therefore the Lord God said, look, I've laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. All right, so there's, there's a passage there that, that Paul is referring to he's asking the church in Rome hey remember what God said through the prophet Isaiah so I think it might be really 
helpful here for us to sort of just pause for a moment and try and figure out what was Isaiah saying there? What's the prophet referring to? So let's go back to verse 15 for a moment. God's speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he's talking to his children, the the Israelites. And he's making some observations about what they are putting their confidence in. Maybe this is a good pop, you know, position for us to sort of reflect on our own hearts and think, well, what are the things that I've, I've put my confidence in, especially when it comes to my security, my eternal security, my safety, my salvation, my spiritual assurance? What are the things that I look to? So let's have a look at what they, they said. And it seems a bit strange to us, maybe, but let's, let's reflect on it for a moment. This is the, the attitude that they had. We've made a covenant with death and have an agreement with Sheol. And when the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, when the danger comes, when the uncertainty arises, it won't touch us. We're safe. We're sure. Why? Because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden behind treachery. Now, this is God's commentary on what the people were actually doing. I'm fairly certain that the Israelites at that point in time weren't literally saying, we made an agreement with death and uh, hell is where we're running to and we've made an agreement um, with treachery and falsehood is our refuge. Not many people talk like that. Not many sane people talk like that. All right. But yet, the things that we run to, the things that we do look for refuge in, the things that we um, think will save us, God looks at them. He looks beyond what we see and he says, you're, you're trusting in trickery. You're trusting in falsehood. You're trusting in treachery. You've actually made an agreement with death because that will not save you. And that's what the Israelite people were doing at that point in time. And we don't have to point to them. We can easily just point to the man or the woman in the mirror and say, we've done the same thing. Countless times and in countless ways. The things that I think will save you, save me, rescue me, the things that will be my refuge, they lead to death. So what does God do with people who run to death? What, what, do, what does God do with people who trust in treachery? What does God do with people who actually make a signed agreement with hell and say, that's, that's going to be my hope? What should he do? He's a holy God, a righteous God, a good, good father. And so on one hand, we could say, well, how on earth could a God like that have anything to do with people who trust death, who run to death, who have made falsehood, lies, their refuge? How should God treat people like that? Well, he should say, have what you want. Right? If you want that, run to it. It's yours. If, if you want death, you can have it to the max. 
If you want treachery and lies, then you can have the fruit of that type of lifestyle. Go for it. But what does God do? What does Isaiah give us an insight into the heart of God to people who trust in treachery, who run towards death, who make an agreement with hell? What does God do? Verse 16, therefore the Lord God said, look, I've laid a stone in Zion. This is a prophetic word from Isaiah long, long before Jesus. I've laid a stone in Zion. He's a tested stone. He's a precious cornerstone. He's a sure foundation. And the one who believes will be unshakable. When God saves sinners, those who, are, who have made a covenant with death, those who trust Sheol, those who make falsehood their refuge, who've hidden behind treachery, when God saves sinners like that, He saves them because He has a heart of mercy and He says, come to Jesus. Right? All the things that you're looking for, that unshakable refuge that you're hoping for, you will find them in this precious cornerstone named Jesus. God saves and He saves sinners from what they deserve and what they seek. And He saves them because He has a heart of mercy. I actually really love the quote that Justin Huffman had in the book, in chapter 7 of Behold. And he says, Behold, Jesus Christ is the great cornerstone of history. And either we are building our life on Him, or we are stumbling over Him by taking offence at Him. There's actually only two ways that we can respond to Jesus. We either build our life on Him as a cornerstone or, as Isaiah said, we are tripping over Him. As Paul reminded us, we're tripping over Him. He's a stumbling block in some way. So the very first thing I want you to hear this morning, when God saves, He saves out of a place of mercy towards sinners. And that's us this morning. Maybe you sit in the room today and you are thinking, praise God that God saved a sinner like me. Many of you are. Maybe this morning, you're sitting here this morning, I'm not sure why you decided that you would come today. Could be lots of different motives. Maybe you're watching online and you've tuned in and you're just listening for the first time ever maybe. And maybe you're sitting thinking, well, could he save me? What does he have for me? What am I running to? What are the things that I've sought refuge in for the hope that I need in my life? And I want you to hear this morning that God saves because he has a heart of mercy. No matter our story, no matter our journey, no matter where we've come from, no matter what it is that we've experienced or done ourselves or had done to us, God looks and his heart of mercy beats for you. 
And God offers a beautiful cornerstone, something that we can find refuge in, something that we can find certainty in, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And those who believe in him, unshakable. Why? Because he is unshakable. So that's the first thing I want you to remember. God saves out of a heart of mercy. Go back and have a look at Romans 9 again. I said keep your finger there or your ribbon or something. Go back to Romans 9. And we just read verse 33, right? Which is where Paul quotes from Isaiah. Here's the second thing that I want you to um, remember from this passage this morning, though. The second point is, we're either tripping into Jesus or we're tripping over Jesus. And I get that from what Paul says in the the larger context of verse 33. So let's go back up, find verse 30, and we'll read his reminder of Isaiah in the context that he gave it. Romans chapter 9, starting from verse 30. What should we say then, is the rhetorical question. What should we say then? There's a a mystery that Paul's about to reference. He's about to talk about something peculiar that he's observed. And the question that we're led with is, how do we respond to that? What should we say? And here's here's the tension that Paul is observing in life. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness. Namely, the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, here's the reminder, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over, and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. So this is my point. We're either tripping into Jesus or we're tripping over Jesus. That's the two groups of people that Paul references here. One of the Gentiles, one are the Israelites, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. These people, the Gentiles, it's a really broad phrase that captures everybody else who wasn't inside the covenant that God had made with Abraham. So unless you are of Jewish descent this morning, we are surrounded by Gentiles and pagans, all right, of which you are as well. We are of those in the world who were not originally a part of what God made a covenant with his chosen people for. And Paul makes the observation that Gentiles, people like us, they didn't pursue righteousness, right? They didn't chase after righteousness. In fact, what were they chasing after? Back Isaiah tells us, They were chasing after death. 
We were chasing after Sheol. We were chasing after treachery. We didn't pursue righteousness, but Paul says, hey, listen, there were a bunch of people who weren't pursuing righteousness, but guess what? They found righteousness. They didn't chase after it. They didn't pursue it, but yet they found righteousness. And what sort of righteousness did they pursue? Did they find, sorry? It says they found the righteousness that comes through faith. So there's one group of people, people who weren't pursuing God at all. They weren't pursuing righteousness. They weren't pursuing what does it mean to live in a right relationship with God. And yet, yet they found it. They found it. And they found it through faith. In one sense, they were walking along and even though they weren't looking where they were going or pursuing anything worthwhile, somehow faith in Christ, they've come across it and they've almost tripped over it, tripped into a relationship with Jesus. And Paul's like, how does this happen? Because he then, verse 31, turns his attention to Israel. He says, my Israelite brothers, he's, he's an Israelite, my Israelite brothers and sisters, he said they were given every opportunity to have a relationship with God. They were given the law. They were given the prophets. They were given messengers. They were given good kings. They were given every opportunity. God himself said, I'm going to come and dwell amongst you. I'm going to set up my tabernacle with you. I'm going to be with you. He gave them every opportunity He says, but they didn't find the righteousness that comes by faith. Pursuing the law of righteousness, they've not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They tripped over the stumbling stone. The very thing that they needed most when Jesus was put right in front of them, they said, we will not have this man rule over us. Right? The, the cornerstone was there. The foundation stone of righteousness was there. And they tripped over him. There are two groups of people. And really, they're sort of like a figurehead for all of humanity. Those who God has revealed himself to in a more than a um, sort of common grace manner and those who are outside of God's covenant. There's these two groups of people that live today. Some people are given every opportunity to hear the truth, to, to know what it means to live in right relationship with God and they see Jesus and, and Jesus is a stumbling block to them. Something to trip over, get caught up on. And others who I've heard their testimonies and they've said, you know what, I wasn't, I wasn't pursuing a relationship with God at all in my life. I thought he was a joke. I thought all these Christians that give up their time on a Sunday morning, what a waste of a weekend. <coughs> hey, we could be out fishing or boating. It's a beautiful day. We could be at the beach. You could be living your life... However you want. And that's how I was living my life, they say. And then all of a sudden, God hit me in the head. 
And maybe it was through a conversation, maybe it was through a neighbour, maybe through it was a circumstance in their family. or what, Something happened in their life and they came face to face with Jesus. And even though they were not pursuing a relationship with God at all, they were confronted with Jesus. And they said, I've got to have this in my life. Amen. What's been your story? Were you, were you pursuing a relationship with God? Or running away from him? Are you pursuing a relationship with God? Or are you running away with him right now? Because we are left with a choice right now with what do we do with Jesus? Something to trip over? Something to get hung up over? Or something to see and say, I was running headlong towards hell. My agreement was with death. And I've been confronted with Jesus all of a sudden and I need him in my life. It's almost like Jesus was put in your path and you've tripped over him, but you've tripped over straight into righteousness. You've tripped over and said, I I need this relationship with God. What about the people that live in our community? People that live on the streets around us, the people that we are engaging with in your neighbourhood, those that you are working beside maybe going to school with. What what do we do with those that don't know Jesus yet? And here's the third thing that I want to reflect on. When it comes to evangelism, I'm going to use that word again, I used it last week. Hopefully you're not twitching too much when I say it again today, but when it comes to evangelism, this tension that we talked about at the beginning of the service, this, the, the conflict that can occur amongst some Christian conversations about how does God save? You know, does God rescue people? Does he drag them into heaven? Does he, does he just plead with them? Ask them to make the choice? How does he do it? And, and we could get a little bit distracted about trying to answer that. There's, there's some really good things that are a part of that debate that's helpful for us to know about God. But for this morning, as in the sense of what we do when we think about our witness as a church and as individuals in this church, about how we present this cornerstone to the world, this sure foundation, how do we do that? Well, this is the last point that I've got for you this morning. Just give them Jesus and let God sort out the rest. All right? Now, some of you are going to sit there and just go, oh, Chris, don't skirt around the object. You know, you're just oversimplifying it. Maybe. Maybe. But I would push back a little bit and say, you know what the way our job is? Our job is not to be God. Our job is to be faithful witnesses. Our job is just to keep pointing to Jesus. Our job is to keep saying, here's what the cornerstone has meant in my life. Let me show you. Let me tell you about my God who saves. Let me point to Jesus. Let me show you where hope lies. Our job is to give people Jesus. God's job is to save. If it was up to us to save the world, I think you know the answer, right? If it was up to us, we're doing a good job or not? Are we we able to do this? No. 
But our job is to be faithful witnesses. Our job is to faithfully, every day, every moment that is laid in our path, to come out and say to our friends, our neighbours, our family members, let me show you Jesus. And maybe they'll trip over him. Maybe it'll be a distraction. Maybe it'll be something that they just can't get past. And it's going to take some time. You know what? Just give them Jesus. Just keep giving them Jesus. And be wise about it. Giving them Jesus doesn't mean open up. I'm going to jam this down your throat. Maybe it will be. Could be on occasion. Often it's just the gentle daily reminder that Jesus Jesus is here. What are you going to do with Jesus? And then pray and pray and pray. And trust and trust and trust that the God who saves people from a heart of mercy will do what God can do. That which we can't. So God saves and he saves out of a heart of mercy. He loves to see people who are running away from him and he says... I'm going to put a cornerstone in front of you. I'm going to put Jesus in front of you. Some people, they trip over Jesus. They get every opportunity and they just keep tripping over Jesus. They just can't can't see him for who he is. Other people, they're running headlong away from God and doing whatever they can and they come across Jesus and they trip into Jesus righteousness somehow they find a relationship with God and they've been confronted with Jesus our job just giving people Jesus just keep giving people Jesus and let God sort out the rest I'm going to ask you this morning though what have you done with Jesus first and foremost it's been a cornerstone for you A foundation stone. As Isaiah said, those who believe in him, they can't be shaken. Doesn't mean that there are not things in our life that happen that unsettle us. Of course there are. We could be sitting beside a hospital bed with our child, wondering what will tomorrow hold. Or we might have very dear loved ones to us in our own family who consistently say, I do not want Jesus in my life, and it breaks our heart. Maybe there's sickness in your own life that you're struggling with. Maybe there's sin that as you lay it down before the Lord, it just seems to be so enticing and calls you back. There are things that can absolutely throw our lives into turmoil, But those whose lives are built on the cornerstone, God says, your hope, your righteousness and your certainty, it is unshakable. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So I'm going to ask you this morning, what have you done with Jesus? Is he your cornerstone? Or are you still running headlong from God and a relationship with him are you thinking this is not for me I'm running away from him 
Jesus can meet you there as well. And maybe that's this morning. Maybe it's the, the first time you've heard about Jesus so many times. You've heard about God's love for people so many times and people like you. And you've always thought it's for other people. Then maybe this morning is the first time that you've tripped into Jesus, that you've bumped into Jesus and thought, no, this is for me. This is for me. Then don't leave today without settling that. Don't think, maybe I'll bump into again another time. If you've bumped into Jesus today, then deal with him today. If you've been confronted by God's love for you this morning, then don't ignore the confrontation. Say, what will I do with Jesus this morning? And for those of you who are praying for loved ones and you know Jesus already, and you're wondering, how do I best... How do I best make sure that their life turns around? Can I just at least say, as a starting point, don't give up hope. Don't, Don't think it's too late. Just keep giving them Jesus. God is so good at sorting out broken things. I know from personal experience. God is so good at saving sinners. I know. He saved me. God is so good at rescuing sheep that have just wandered away. I'm trusting for him to do that again. God saves because he's a heart of mercy. People either trip over Jesus or they trip into righteousness through Jesus. So what's our job? Just keep giving people Jesus. And let God sort out the rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for our cornerstone. The unshakable Christ. He's precious to us. He gives us a sense of our certainty, our hope. He he lets us see what you're like and your heart of mercy. And we thank you that when we were running away from you, you reached into our life and you confronted us with Jesus. And so for all of us here this morning who know Jesus in that way, we simply call out, Lord, we love you. Thank you for rescuing us. But Lord, right now, I pray that there are those in this room or watching online who don't know Jesus like that. Lord, will you put Jesus in front of them in such a way that they just cannot ignore him? Will you help us to lovingly and wisely each day just keep giving people Jesus? And open our eyes to see the hope and the beauty that he holds. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Please don't leave today if you need to have a conversation with someone about who Jesus is in your life. I'm going to sit down the front here. I would love to have that conversation with you or pray with you. 
But if there's someone else in this room that you know that you'd love to talk with, please don't leave today until you have dealt with who is Jesus to you.